I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. My name is Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here today with my good friend and coworker, Sean Latimer. Hey, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about, let's see if I can do this, dun, 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 mission possible. Was that the right tune? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's, how does I, mission, I, don't, I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I was trying to do Mission Impossible. How does it go? Oh, I guess that's right. Something like that. Yeah. I'm just close. getting this image of Tom Cruise kind of going down and uh, he's like all strapped to the ceiling trying to make no moves. But anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. The article is called Mission Possible. And I opened up with this idea of leadership and casting vision. And I thought it was interesting. I'm an elder at my church and we are uh, amidst a whole project of writing out our vision statement and how we will cast that vision to the congregation. And it's a it's a big thing to tackle because what they're talking about is that whatever you establish as this vision statement, it should permeate all your ministries and your goals and everything that you do. So it's not just like a catchy phrase. No, it can't be like, like a flavor of the week. It's something that's supposed to be in place forever. Yeah, it's something that's going to set the tone of your culture. It's something that should reflect your character. Um, it's a big decision to make. So because of that, we're doing this research. We're reading, we're listening to podcasts, we're watching YouTube videos. And one of these videos stood out to me because this guy is talking about kind of this common trait that makes a great leader. And if I asked you that, like, hey, what are some common traits that make a great leader? What come to mind for you? I think it's tough to say because it depends. You know, if we're talking about... We talk about sports a lot, but if we talk about a leader on a sports team, you know, I think one of the best, you know, competencies would be leading by example and setting the tone and, and their actions speak louder than words. If we're talking about a leader of a company, and I think you kind of alluded to this, uh, making sure that it's very clear what the future holds and everyone knows their role or their job. Uh, I think one mistake that most people make, whether it's a corporation or a small business, is people won't, employees won't understand if they're doing a good job, a bad job, they don't know where they stand. And that's uh, it can be daunting for an employee to go in day in, day out, not knowing where they stand. That's a great point. Man, I didn't even think about that. But a good call out for somebody who is a leader of a business is employees come in every day wondering, am I doing a good job or not? And if you're not able as a leader to tell them that, you're really doing a disservice because you leave them, I guess, in anxiety, right? And then uh, the times that you do get feedback, it might be under a performance review or something like that. And uh, I know that just from my friends, whenever they're being reviewed or maybe audited or uh, being measured, it can be uh, an anxious feeling just going and something like that. Yeah, I started this whole conversation with this idea that I watched this video with this guy talking about this common trait that he's finding amongst leaders. And you kind of alluded to it. It was not obvious to me. He basically said when he asked most people, what kind of qualities do you want to have in a leader? Knee-jerk reaction, their integrity, honesty, kind of the, the canned answers you're used to, which are great qualities. He argued that clarity is what you should be really looking for. And this quote I wrote down in the article, he said, sure, we value integrity, but we follow clarity. And, and that's not juxtaposing saying that integrity is not important. It's just kind of going along with what you say about the importance of clarity and um, letting somebody know where they stand, understanding where the company is going, understanding this idea of um, what expectations are. Mm -hmm. uh, it's huge. So I started to really kind of meditate on this idea of clarity. Like, do I do a good job uh, as an advisor with clients showing clarity? 
Do I do a good job as a husband, as a uh, a father? And that word is not familiar to me. I know what clarity means, but uh, learning how to be succinct in your language and lead people in a way where they understand what you're talking about, it's difficult. Yeah, and I think integrity and ethics and a lot of those you know attributes that uh, people want leaders to have, they're, they're almost... It's like the setting the bar kind of low, like that's a given uh, or they wouldn't or shouldn't be in the position they're in now if they don't have those things. Table stakes. Yep. Yeah. So you, that's a good point. That's man. I didn't think about that. So that's a great point is that you even to show up, even to have a seat at the table that you have to have that. Mm-hmm. What differentiates you, what separates you is your ability to have clarity yep. and to show that vision. And the reason I, I think about this is I'm always kind of connecting the dots in my own life and how these different puzzle pieces all fit together. And as we were doing this at church, we're also doing a project here uh, led by David Bonson, our chief investment officer and founder, uh, that they're calling Operation Magnify. And when I look at that, it, it really, to me, is about clarity as well. You're taking this this field of finance and personal finance that can be murky, and you're trying to define for people these different pieces of their portfolio how they fit in, and what they should expect from them. And I'm intentionally using that word expectations because I think it's so important in life. Because when we go to a restaurant or when we invest in an investment, we're attaching an expectation to that. And our feeling of fulfillment or whatever um, is going to be based on, did we exceed or come short of that expectation? And the Operation Magnify is interesting because when we first rolled out what it would be, talking David talked about in Dividend Cafe, and and we had a lot of clients inquire and uh, almost like they're getting ahead of it. Like before we even talked about what it was, they're like, "What is this? Do I need to know? What changes do I make? What should I do to prepare?" And at first, I was I was kind of thinking like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Pump the brakes! Don't worry, we will be there to guide you through this." And then uh, maybe because I'm always glass half full or delusional optimist, but then I thought. Well, this is kind of nice because uh, one thing that we've talked about in the past is it's really tough to guide clients on the right path when they're not engaged, when they don't take advice, and and they, you know, and we constantly reminding them to set up their living trust or whatever it might be. And so then I thought, well, I guess I should be really happy that I have so many clients that are that engaged that they are ready to take a direction. They have the appetite to be better and they want to make sure that we're operating as efficient as possible. So I look at it as a good thing. Yeah. And they're reading the content. So I think that's important as well. Um, so part of this operation magnify was all about taking somebody's current portfolio and splicing it up. And I use the word taxonomy a lot. Um, and what I'm trying to describe is just the categorization of things. Like, how are you codifying these things? Um, traditionally in finance, we're pretty broad, right? We say it's either a stock, a cash, or a bond, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're saying is, hey, there are the, the world of finance has changed. The types of things that you can invest in has, has, has expanded. So we really have to go back and change those categories. Right. And the reason we have to change them is because you need to have a clear understanding, clarity, right? You have to have a clear understanding of the type of asset that you own and what to expect from that. What is the expected volatility or fluctuation in price of that asset? And then what's the expectation of return of that asset? You're 100% right. And you do talk about it later in the article, so I don't want to take wind out of the sails. But the example that you give with, um, I think it's one of our friends, and I I remember that situation where you reviewed his mother's statement. And you're right, the expectation wasn't set. Because if they're looking at it as fixed income, fixed income has been around for a long time. And the one thing that people associate with it is less risk. And I I can almost promise you that in March of this year, uh, it was probably reacting more like equity or stocks, not bonds. 
Yeah, so let's go to that story that was talked about in the uh, article. Is We both have a mutual friend where he came to me and said, hey, my mom needs some help with investing. Can you look at her portfolio? And I said, yeah, of course, I'm happy to. So before I even looked at the portfolio, I asked her, hey, what are your aspirations? And she self-described herself saying, hey, I'm a risk-adverse or I'm a conservative investor. Um, you know, I, maybe she traditionally owns CDs or things like that, but she knows interest rates have come down. So she went to her advisor to build a portfolio that was trying to solve for two objectives. It needed to meet her conservative flavor that she wanted for her own risk tolerance. And it also needed to meet her income objective so that she had enough money to spend according to her financial plan. Well, I look at this portfolio and it's made up of all these credit instruments that are a very similar risk profile to stocks, a very similar risk profile to equities. So for me, it was frustrating Mm -hmm. because the advisor fell short. Uh, She came to him and she wanted to solve for this problem. But what he needed to do, he needed to have a a tough conversation with her. He needed to say to her that, hey, if you want this much income, whatever that percentage was, and you only want to see the price fluctuate this much, there's not something like that that exists. So when it comes to the world of personal finance or economics, there's something called trade-offs. Like you are going to have to adjust your risk tolerance or you're going to have to adjust your expectations for the return on the portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe uh, this would be a good time to pause. How about you break down when people say fixed income and there's boring bonds and credit, what would you say the primary difference is? Yeah, and I'll break that down for you. And even before that, I'm going to go another step backwards. If you went to the article, David has laid out these seven categories that we're going to use. And on this podcast, let's break down some of these categories. And we'll go even a little further than what we went in the article. Those categories are as according to this. It's one, core dividend equity. Our deep philosophy, what we've always done is companies that have a growing dividend and we're building an income-centric equity portfolio. The second category was income enhancements. We'll touch on that. Growth enhancements is number three. Number four and five is what we're going to talk about a lot right now, which is boring bonds and credit. Uh, Number six is alternatives, capturing what we call like traditional alternatives. And then the seventh category would be illiquids or direct investments. For that, you're thinking about um, getting access to a local real estate investment opportunity or perhaps even uh, a small venture opportunity in a non-publicly traded company, something very illiquid, uh, not traded on public markets. But you asked a good question, and it was kind of the focus of this article is that, hey, we've had this traditional pie chart piece inside of our asset allocation that we've called fixed income or bonds. When I talk to clients and I use the word bonds, like their mind goes somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Their mind goes directly to grandma, grandpa, they bought bonds, they put them in my savings account, they paid a fixed payment, it's conservative, it's safe, which is true for what? Some bonds. Mm -hmm. So what I love that David did here is he's bifurcating the bond market. Right, He's taking it and he's putting it into two categories, which at first I think he was calling bonds that act like bonds, but he changed the name, I think, and he changed it to boring bonds, which I love because it's it's even further exemplifying what your expectations right. should be there. Because bonds act like bonds, but if you're not familiar with investments, you might not know what that means. But boring, people know what boring means. Yeah, exactly. So boring bonds is one category that he's created, and then he spliced the other category to call it credit. So let's talk about that. What is boring bonds? So I can tell you mechanically first what boring bonds are, are things like government bonds and 
uh, investment-grade corporate bonds. When I'm saying investment-grade, it means high-quality companies that are issuing debt that have a very low likelihood of defaulting. What do I mean when I say defaulting? Meaning that they're not going to pay you back. Mm -hmm. So these in the world of bonds are safe assets. They're not safe like as if I had my money under my mattress. But again, if we go back to this idea of a risk spectrum, they're like one notch over in understanding that the expectation of default is extremely low. So not high likelihood that you lose money. The volatility of these assets is extremely low. And what else is low? It translates into low returns. Exactly. Um, And especially being in a low interest rate environment, there's not much to be got there. I guess a good place to go is why do you have to bifurcate those two? Why does it matter? Well, if you go out right now and you buy a bond mutual fund, it can be super confusing. Even the the mutual fund world has begun to change their categories Mm -hmm. because they're trying to define to you within the bond world, what area are we fishing? Is it a government bond portfolio? Is it a core bond portfolio? Is it a core plus bond portfolio? Is it an unconstrained bond portfolio? So this language is not common to all of us. So I love what David did. Hey, boring bonds, you get that? They're boring. The price isn't going to fluctuate very much. And in today's interest rate environment where you lend money to the government for 10 years and you get 0.6%, I can tell you what your return is going to be. And then what he goes further to say is he say, that traditionally boring bonds, what we're calling them now, have been a big part of client portfolios because they met three objectives, right? They met this objective of creating current income. Um, They act as almost like a hedge or they had positive performance in times where equity markets had distress. That was number two. And then number three, they acted like as a parking lot where you could like preserve capital. You Mm -hmm. knew when you needed it, it'd be worth the same as when you put it in. The problem is we just named three objectives and two of those no longer exist. Right. Not going to create current income. And it's not really going to be a hedge when there's equity market risk. The reason it's a hedge is because money moves from stocks into bonds which lower interest rates. Mm -hmm. But what he's arguing is saying, hey, when interest rates are half a percent, how much lower do you have to go? Right. Nobody's compelled to go from cash where maybe they're getting 0.1% to a bond that's going to give them 0.5%. It doesn't move the needle. Yeah. And then I guess the next place you have to go is, okay, I understand that boring bonds, simple, vanilla, but what is credit? And I, I made this, I thought it was funny. I guess I think all my, my, my jokes are funny. But um, I talked about in the article, like, think about peppers or jalapeno peppers. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a good analogy. It's true, though. I mean, if somebody says, do you want a pepper? Like, you better ask them what you're talking about. Because yeah. there's a huge difference between a sweet pepper and a ghost pepper. That's true. And it's important to understand that because somebody asks you or offers you, hey, do you want a pepper with your meal? You better know which one you're biting into. Right. And I made a joke. Well, it wasn't a joke, I guess. When you Google search that... Um, the first thing that comes up when you Google search ghost pepper, it was a question that says, can a ghost pepper kill you? I'm just picturing someone who ate one and they're just melting. And the first thing they go Google is, this is, is this going to kill me? <laughs> yeah, it's insane. But it's funny because when we go back to talking about my friend's mom is she was obviously this allocation is not going to kill her. Right. But the allocation set up could destroy her portfolio. It was a ghost pepper portfolio when she was looking for something like a sweet pepper. Like it, it made no, absolutely no sense. So that gets us in description is what is this world that you're calling credit? Well, it's kind of a catch all for anything that's further up the risk spectrum. 
things that do have some percentage or likelihood of, of potentially defaulting, things that might have geopolitical risk, things like emerging market bonds or securitized debt, um, things like uh, mortgage-backed securities or commercial mortgage-backed securities or um, pools of, of credit card debt. Uh, this, this credit allocation here, it is going to solve one of those objectives, right? It's going to create more income. But what's going to come with the more income? Not capital preservation. And you realistically, it'll move with equities, I'm sure. So if you see a decrease in equity or stocks, you're going to see a decrease in that high yield space too. Yeah, you're going to see a correlation between credit and equities. And the reason this is important now is that if you went back to March and somebody owned a core plus bond portfolio or core bond portfolio, and they saw it go down six, seven or 8%, they were like pulling their hair out. They're like, these are bonds. Why is this doing it? Well, it's because that portfolio was made up of two parts, mm-hmm. right? Their boring bonds probably uh, increased in value during that time. Uh, not probably, they did. But um, a very small percentage. Yeah, but they moved. You know, they might have been up 10, 11% during a time where the markets were down 20 or 30%, depending on the duration or how long those bonds were. But the other part of their portfolio, the credit part, uh, it definitely participated in that distress. Uh, you could find parts of the credit market that were down 30%. So it depended on what you owned. And, and the, the whole idea behind Operation Magnify and why we're even talking about this is back to expectations. A client needs to understand what they're going to get out of each part of their portfolio. If I own boring bonds, what should I expect? You're probably going to expect a 1% return. And that's it. You're probably going to expect that there's not going to be a lot of volatility in the portfolio. Um, so it's a great place to preserve money if you have a, a, a near-term use. But if you start allocating, I don't know, plug in the blank, 40 50 60% to that type of allocation, you can understand what it's going to do to the total return of your portfolio. So is that the answer now going forward when people have um, almost like a short-term time horizon or for cash or a purchase coming up? Is boring bonds the way to go? Maybe just cash. Um, maybe that answer will probably be answered for each person individually. Where I think is important, and we talked about last week, is where does this all start? It starts with planning. Right. So it, this might be an opportunity for a client to go back and look at the risk questionnaire they took originally and maybe take another one. For them to go back and, and do some post-mortem assessment of March 23rd, mm-hmm. how do they feel? Did, I mean, you had clients that called you and, and, and talked about making drastic changes to their portfolio. We did. I, I did as well. So you have to look at that and say, are we ready to endure that again or should we make adjustments? I think the other thing that you have to do is because interest rates have come down so aggressively, I think you have to throttle your expectations on what the future is. And will some clients have to move up the risk spectrum to meet some of their financial goals? Yeah, they probably will. So that's basically kind of what Operation Magnify is looking like. Um, I will identify one thing that stood out to me um, as we're looking at the article right now. Maybe this is a future podcast for us to discuss, but we've also bifurcated the equity market a little bit into these different categories. Core dividend is what we do. It's The philosophy is not changing. But this whole idea of uh, enhancements and growth enhancements, uh, what was your perspective on that? I think it's appropriate for... Some clients, um, the conversation does come up when people ask why we don't own FANG, and it's a pretty easy answer because they don't fit in our core dividend belief. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a growth aspect that we should look at, maybe through small cap companies or other opportunities that maybe they don't fit the dividend growth 
philosophy as well. But if we're looking at a small allocation for specific clients, it might be appropriate. Yeah. And one thing I think to remember, too, uh, I like how David named that income enhancements and growth enhancements, because when you go back to this really simple equation that I've written about before, most of the time in finance, we're talking about total return. And we know the total return is made up of two aspects, right? Mm -hmm. It's made up of appreciation and income. So depending on the client, they might be able to adjust their own allocation if there's not a huge income need where they don't need to enhance the yield of the portfolio. So maybe income enhancements aren't appropriate for that person, right? Client by client. But they might have a long enough time horizon, not a need for taking withdrawals from the portfolio where they want to add some growth to the portfolio. And what we're saying, as you mentioned, maybe FANG isn't something we believe in because we don't think the valuation makes sense. But what pool do you fish in if you're willing to accept a little bit more volatility and you want growth? So that's why we're now talking about, hey, innovation, companies that are disruptive, that's opportunistic. Companies in the emerging markets, those are opportunistic. Companies that are domestic but smaller, those are opportunistic. So you can get those growth-like results that you're looking for in the long run, but fishing in pools of valuation that we think are more appropriate. And they do have alignment with our core dividend philosophy because that core dividend philosophy is based on fundamental research of that company, the balance sheet, cash flow, and looking for something that I can buy today that I believe is less than the intrinsic value of the company. And that's what we're trying to achieve in that growth level. We're not trying to be trendy. We're not trying to follow the herd. We're trying to say, hey, if I wanted to have a portfolio that focused much more on appreciation than income, where would I fish? And like I said, that ranges, um, and I'll go even further, even to things like private equity, where valuations might be a, a lot more attractive. But as I'm talking, I'm just thinking there's a lot more to cover on the subject, which means there's more articles to be written. David, I know, is going to expand on this for our clients. And it'll be something that we will have individual conversations with our clients over the next three to four months and figure out, hey, how does Operation Magnify affect you as a client? And how does it provide investor education and set your expectations for your own financial plan? Sounds good. That's all we got for you today. We hope that you leave comments on the podcast, rate the podcast, and we will be back next week for more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on Money. money. <laughs> the Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice.
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.